All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to see you as we wrap up the True Story series today that, as Dugan said, we've been in since the beginning of the year. It's funny. This is kind of a New Year's type series. And at this point, the end of February, I don't know if it still qualifies as a new year or not. Um, feels like maybe that's over. But yet, we will conclude the series today and move on to something really exciting next week. So I hope you'll be here for that. Um, but all series long, we've been asking ourselves the question, what does God want to cultivate in me this year? That's been sort of the, the underlying or the overarching question that we've all been asking ourselves. What thing does God want to cultivate in me this year? We all want to continue growing. We all want to continue being stretched and molded into the person that God called us to be, that he created us to be. We all want to become the individuals that God thought of when he first thought us up, whenever that was. And so collectively, each week we've been encouraging ourselves and each other to pray this simple prayer, Lord, expand my vision, kind of give me a bigger vision for my life, ignite my passion, and then cultivate something in me. And we've all been asking what that blank is for us. For you as an individual, what is the thing that God wants to cultivate in you this year? And to give ourselves some ideas, we've looked at the true stories of a variety of women and men, both in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and even modern times, and we've asked if the hallmark thing in their life is the thing that God wants to cultivate in us this year. Over the last seven weeks, we've looked at some incredible stories and some incredible things, and you might remember this is the list of things that we've looked at. We started seven weeks ago by looking at the life of Benaiah and the courage that he lived with, and we said, is courage the thing it is for us? The next week we looked at Simeon's life and the patience that he showed waiting for the Savior. The third week was Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and so we looked at the life of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and we said there is sacrifice. Sacrifice was kind of the thing that kind of was, was a hallmark in his life and in his story. The fourth week we talked about Axa and the fortitude she showed. The fifth week it was Deborah and the influence that she leveraged. Week six was Louis Zamperini and the forgiveness that he needed to extend. And just last week, we looked at the New Testament story, the, the story of Stephen, and a level of compassion that was the hallmark of his life, which eventually led to him laying down his life and becoming the first ever Christian martyr. Now, those are all great things, and it would be great if God would cultivate all of them in all of us. But the reality is, that's not that's not probably what's, what's going to happen. We probably can't focus on all seven of, of those things at the same time. And it's far more likely that there is just one thing that God wants us to focus on this year to, to allow him to cultivate this thing in us. We all have something. The question is, what is it for, for you? Maybe it's one of those seven things, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's something else entirely. And you know your, your word, your thing is something that we haven't talked about, but you just know that is the thing that God needs to cultivate in me for me to reach my full potential. You have incredible, incredible potential. What is that thing that you need to see God grow in you? In what areas does he need to stretch you and develop you and bring you along for you to reach that potential? Well, for the next several minutes, I want us to talk about that, that thing, whatever it is for you. Because this year, you are going to do a lot of things. You are going to have a lot of opportunities. You are going to have a lot of options this year. But there is something that if you could get right, it would have a tangible impact on your life in a fantastic way. To help us focus in on that thing, I want us to look at an incredible true story in the Old Testament. And I want to zero in on one specific verse in this story. 
It's a verse that I believe has the potential to be a game changer for you. But before we get into it, let me tell you a little bit about where this story comes from. Several years ago, back when we were doing pretty much video teaching every week, um, which I know some of you are new to Heartland, and you're like, what are you talking about, video teaching? I've been coming for six months, I've never seen video teaching. Well, there was a time in our history where we used video teaching pretty much every week, and it's a great thing. We'll still do it again at some point, but, um, but back when we were doing that, probably four, five, six years ago, we did a teaching that we, where we looked at the story that we're looking at today, and when we got to the verse that I want us to focus in on today, this verse just implanted itself deep inside of me. And this verse has stayed with me like few verses really have. And I've thought about this verse so many times since then. This this, uh, verse has impacted the decisions I've made. This verse has impacted the things that I've said yes to. This verse has, has been the reason that I've said no to some other things. And so my hope and my prayer for this morning is that this verse, when we come to it, it would connect with the thing that God is wanting to cultivate in you. And as a result of your focus on that thing this year, six months from now or a year from now, you'd be able to look back on this moment and back on this series and you would go, wow, look how my life has changed as a result of that thing that God has cultivated in me. Today I want us to look at the story of Nehemiah. I want to kind of lead into this verse, and I'll tell you kind of the background of the story. I want to summarize for you the first six chapters, or I want to summarize the first five chapters of the book of Nehemiah, and then we're going to pick the story up in chapter 6, verse 1. But the story of Nehemiah begins in about 444 B.C. That is a long time ago, but it begins in 440 B.C. in the Persian Empire, and it begins with King Artaxerxes I. He was the, the king of Persia. Some of you may have studied King Artaxerxes in your ancient history classes. I can pretty much guarantee if you did, you've long since forgotten about him. Am I right? Yeah, you don't remember Artaxerxes, do you? Yeah. Okay, so, but, but it begins with Artaxerxes I. He was the king of the Persian Empire, and because this is kind of the big empire in the day, uh, we would think of him more even as an emperor, and Nehemiah works for King Artaxerxes. He lives in the city of Susa, which is the citadel, or sort of the capital of the Persian Empire. And if you grew up in church, or if you read your Bibles regularly, you may remember that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Now what does that mean? Well, it means literally that he was like one of the world's very first sommeliers, which is a great you know, thing on Netflix. If you're not seeing that, you should watch it. It's super interesting. But, but he was a sommelier. He was like all about wine. He was a wine expert. And so it was his job to, to, to watch over the wine and to care for the king's wine and the wine cellar. It was his job to choose the wine based on the food pairings that the king was going to have for dinner. And even more important than that, it was his job to drink a glass of the wine before the king ever had it so that if the wine had been poisoned, if somebody was trying to assassinate the king, the cupbearer would be the one to die and not the king. And so the king put a lot of trust in his cupbearer. And so Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king, but he was even more than that. He was a friend to the king. He was an official in the, in the empire, but he was also a Jewish man. And because of that, we don't think that he had ever been back to the city of Israel or back to the city of Jerusalem in Israel because over a hundred years before this, the Babylonians, who were kind of the big dog at that time, they had, they had conquered Israel. And in doing so, they had destroyed the temple, they had destroyed the wall surrounding the city of Jerusalem, and they had taken all of the Israelites into exile. And so now here we are, a hundred plus years later, the Persians have taken over for the Babylonians, but most of the Israelites are still living in exile, although some of them have gone back and are trying to live in Jerusalem in this city of their ancestors. 
And so we've got Nehemiah who works for the king. We don't think that he's ever been back to the city of Jerusalem, but he is an Israelite. So this is where his heart lies. This is where his heritage lies. This is where he, he, he kind of longs to be. And whenever somebody comes to the city of Susa, whenever somebody comes who's been to Jerusalem, Nehemiah asks for a report. He wants to know what's going on with his people. He wants to know what's going on with their, their holy city. He wants to know what God is doing. And the reports that he hears breaks his heart. Because the city of Jerusalem is open and exposed to the surrounding areas. The wall is in rubble still over 100 years later. The temple hasn't been, hasn't been fully rebuilt. And this just breaks his heart. And so Nehemiah decides he's going to do something very risky. He decides he's going to go to the king and he's going to ask for some time off. And he does. You read this in the first five chapters of Nehemiah. He goes to the king and the king can tell that he's sad. Which it was, it was, it was a crime to be sad in the presence of the king. And the king says, Nehemiah, what's wrong? And Nehemiah tells him, he says, King, with, with, with all of my people back in Jerusalem, things are not good. King, would you consider giving me time off to go back and to try to bring some organization, to try to bring some leadership, to try to help my people? This, again, is a risky thing because Nehemiah is not an employee of the king. He is a slave of the king, and slaves do not get time off. But the king responds favorably to Nehemiah, and he says, Nehemiah, not only will I give you the time off that you're requesting, I'll do you one better than that. I will make you legally the governor over Judea. He says, I will give you paperwork that literally tells the surrounding communities that you, on my authority, are basically the mayor of the city of Jerusalem. You will be the man in charge. Not only that, I will give you all the supplies that you need. So, so gather up what you want and head back. But here's the catch, Nehemiah. You can't stay away forever. I want you back. That's how much he meant to the king. And so Nehemiah spends time kind of uh, gathering the money, gathering the supplies, and then heading back to the city of Jerusalem. Now, one of the things that's important for us to understand uh, that it's difficult for us to wrap our mind around is just how wild these times were. Okay, 400 years before Christ, 400 BC, you had the, the overarching empire, but there was no real international law. There was no police force, if you will, in the city of Jerusalem so far away from the capital of, 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 of Susa. And so you had people groups, you had ethnic people groups, you had tribes of people, and then you had warlords. And so for the Israelites living in the city of Jerusalem with no wall surrounding their city, they were completely exposed to all of the surrounding warlords. And so we know that these people would come and they would, they would steal from the Israelites. They would pillage the city of Jerusalem and the people who were living there. And so when Nehemiah gets back, he sees how bad this is. This is like the wild, wild west times 10, if you could just imagine that. Basically, anything that somebody could do and get away with, they would just do. Right? If they had the power to make it happen, they would do it, and they would take advantage of each other that way. And so the city of, of Jerusalem is filled with Israelites who are being kind of taken advantage of and abused by the surrounding warlords. And so Nehemiah shows up. He takes an entire day and an entire night, and he travels around the city of Jerusalem, and he just soaks it all in. And you read that as he does this, he talks to people, and he just, his, his heart just breaks more and more and more. And he comes to the conclusion that if I don't get anything else done, if I only accomplish one thing while I'm here, we have to get the wall surrounding the city rebuilt. 
There's so many things that need to happen. There's an economy that needs help, that needs to be propped up. There are leaders that need to be trained. There are leaders that need to be empowered and put in place. There needs to be so much organization. But if I don't get anything done with the time that I'm here, anything else done with the time that I'm here, we have got to get this, this wall rebuilt. And so Nehemiah calls all of the Israelites together. And he casts this, this, this compelling vision, this great vision that he casts for them. And he says, listen, here's the problem, and here's the solution, and here's why we need to do something about it, and here's why we need to do something about it now. And he calls the people to, to rally together around this vision, and they do. They respond to this vision, and they rally together, and they start to rebuild the wall around the city. This was a massive undertaking. The city's walls had laid in ruins for over a hundred years. And now Nehemiah has inspired the people. He has rallied the people together to try to rebuild the wall. And the surrounding warlords absolutely took notice. You have to understand, they're going to see this happening. And they're thinking to themselves, well, wait a second. If they rebuild the city's walls, there goes part of our economy. If, if we can't just pillage the people at will, if we can't just steal from them at will, there goes part of our livelihood. There goes part of our income stream. This is a problem for us. We have to stop that wall from being rebuilt. And so some of the surrounding warlords band together, and they decide they're going to stop the Israelites from rebuilding this wall. The leader of the opposition was a man named Sanballat. Kind of a fun name. Maybe it might be a good name for a puppy or a, a pet. Probably not your next child. But, but uh, Sanballat decides we've got to stop the people. So he rallies the other warlords together. And they start to send spies into the city. And their first effort is they try to just simply infiltrate the, the people of, of Jerusalem. And they try to discourage them from rebuilding this wall. That doesn't work. And so they take it up a notch. They start to attack the people on the wall. They send armed troops in to attack the people. And so Nehemiah has to regroup. He calls all the people down off the wall. He arms half of the people, and he says, here's what we're going to do. Half of you are going to work on the wall while the other half stand guard, and then we're going to switch. We're going to take shifts, and the people who were working on the wall are going to take the, the armor and the weapons, and they're going to stand guard, and the people who had been standing guard, they're going to work on the wall. And we're going to do this in shifts so that everybody is protected. Well, Sanballat and the other the other. People don't give up on this. They continue to cause problems and try to stir up trouble. But despite their best efforts, the progress on the wall continues to go further. And the wall grows higher and higher and higher. And they almost finish. And Sanballat realizes this is not working. We have got to change our tactics. And so they huddle back up and they say, listen, this has gone on long enough. We have got to kill Nehemiah. So let's get Nehemiah, because once we kill Nehemiah, the other people will be discouraged, and they'll see that we're serious, and they will give up this crazy idea of finishing the wall. And so in Nehemiah chapter 6, we find the encounter that I want us to look at today. This is the, the, the conversation through messengers between Nehemiah and Sanballat, and this is where we get the verse that is so key for us today as we think about what God wants to cultivate in us this year. Nehemiah 6.1, we read, When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. So it's close to being done, but the gates are not set. There's no gates yet. It's still just open doors there. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Okay, They recognize we've got to do something. So they want to kill Nehemiah. So they, they get a messenger. They write him a note. And they say, messenger, take this to Nehemiah. So the messenger comes into the city, finds out where Nehemiah is. He kind of rattles his ladder. Nehemiah comes down, and he gives him this message. The message said, come, 
Let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But Nehemiah knew they were scheming to harm me. So he gets this message that says, come, let's meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. He says, let's, let's just meet out here in the open. Come on down off the wall, Nehemiah. Come out into the open plain. Pick the village. Let's just meet and let's have a conversation. But Nehemiah knows they don't want to have lunch with me. They don't have breakfast with me. They want to harm me. And so Nehemiah responds. We read, uh, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. Nehemiah does not come down off the wall. Nehemiah does not meet with them in the villages in what, or in the plains of Ono. Nehemiah sends the messenger back with a message of his own. And this is the verse. This next line is the line that, that I think applies to us so well today as we consider what it is that God wants to cultivate in us Nehemiah responds, he sent a messenger with this reply, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. You tell Sanballat that I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Would you say that line out loud with me this morning? I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Come on, this is like the whole teaching is going to ride on this verse. I need more than that right? I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. All right, now I want you to say it one last time. I won't make you do it more than this, but one last time. And I want you to think about yourself. I want you to think about your own life. One more time. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. There is something in your life there is a wall that God has placed in your world that you have, have got to climb up on and you need to complete whatever that task is. Whatever the thing is that God is asking you to do, whatever it is in your heart that you know you've got to do to see him cultivate this thing in you, you need to say with Nehemiah this morning to yourself, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Well, here's the rest of Nehemiah's response, verse 3. He said to the messenger, tell them, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Why should the work stop while I leave it to go down to you? Why would I say yes to this invitation and to cause the work to stop? Why would the progress stop? Why should I allow the progress to stop for me to leave it and come down to you? Why should I stop focusing on this thing to come meet with you? How is that going to advance the work that I know is the most important work for me to do today? Why should the work stop while I leave it? Well, four times they did not give up. Verse 4 says, four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. They, they, they wouldn't give up, right? They understood. We've got to stop Nehemiah. So they continue to send invitation after invitation after invitation. They say, Nehemiah, you've, you've got to come down at some point. You can't work on the wall 24-7. Surely, I mean, you've got to eat, right? Like, like come on down. Let's, you've got to eat breakfast. We'll meet you early in the morning, right? You've, you've got to eat at night to recover before you do work the next day. So let's meet for a late dinner, you know? Let's do like like fourth meal, you know, we'll meet at Taco Bell at 2 a.m. if that's what you want to do. Love fourth meal. But every single time, Nehemiah responded with the same line, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should I leave the work? Why should the progress stop for me to come down to you? 
Now, here's why this is so important. Because if Nehemiah had responded to their invitation any other way, if Nehemiah had entertained their invitation, if he had said yes to these invitations, to these distractions, if you will, it would have cost Nehemiah his life. They were going to kill Nehemiah, and Nehemiah would have laid down his life if he had allowed himself to be distracted, if he had said yes to these other opportunities that were coming his way, that on the surface did not look like anything other than an opportunity to to have a, a meal with someone. And it is the same thing for us today as well. There are things in all of our world, there are opportunities and invitations for us to do them that if we say yes to them, it will help, it will cause us to take our eyes off the thing that God is asking us to focus on and it will in some ways steal our life as well. It may not cost us our life physically the way that it would have cost Nehemiah his life physically, but make no mistake, there are things and opportunities that if we say yes to them, it will steal us out of our lives in some way. It will distract us from the work that God has given us to do, and it will cost us greatly, even though on the surface it appears to simply be an opportunity or an invitation. Every single day, There is an opportunity for us to take our eyes off what is most important. But this year, there is one thing that God wants to cultivate in you that will change your life in significant ways so that you are not in the same place you are today a year from now. And some of you know what I'm talking about because your life today, when you look at where you are today, you realize I am in the same place I was last year at this time. I'm in the same place that I was two years ago at this time. And you understand you will be in the same place you are today one year from now or two years from now if something doesn't change. And what I'm saying is that God wants to cultivate something in you. He wants to change you from the inside out so that one year or two years from now you are not in the same place. That you will be farther along and you will look back and you will see how much you have grown and how much God has done in your life as a result of you focusing and partnering with him on cultivating that one thing. Well, the fact that Nehemiah wouldn't come off the wall still did not discourage his detractors. They would not give up. They tried so many other things. You can continue reading in chapter 6 about what they did. Uh, They started a rumor that they hoped would get back to King Artaxerxes that Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall because he hoped to raise an army and eventually he was going to try to take over the Persian Empire himself. Nehemiah was like, come on, the king is not going to believe that. Uh, So I'm not coming down for that. They paid some Israelites to lie to Nehemiah and to say that people were going to kill him in his sleep from within the city. But through it all, through all of these other efforts that these, that these enemies of Nehemiah and these enemies of the Israelites tried to do, despite all their best efforts, through it all, Nehemiah constantly came back to this line, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. And as a result, they ended up finishing the wall. They read it, or we read it this way in verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month Elul in 52 days. In 52 days, they completed the work. That is amazing. They rebuilt the wall surrounding the city of Jerusalem in 52 days. Now, this wasn't the entire ancient city of Jerusalem. That would have taken longer, but it was a smaller portion where the people lived. But this is still a monumental success. This is quite an accomplishment to have rebuilt the wall that had laid in ruins, in rubble, for over a hundred years since the Babylonians had destroyed it. They rebuilt it in 52 days. 
This was so significant that people took notice. Look at verse 16. When all our enemies heard of it, and when all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence because they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. When their enemies and the surrounding nations saw it and heard of it, they lost their confidence because they knew this had been done with the help of the Israelite God. What's great about this story is that there's not a single miracle anywhere in it. If you're new to the Bible, or maybe one of your frustrations with the Bible is you have a hard time getting past the miracles, you should go back and read the book of Nehemiah. Because there's not a single miracle anywhere, not a single act of supernatural stuff. At no point does Nehemiah wake up and go, whoa, the wall's partially been rebuilt without us doing any work. Right? It doesn't happen. At no point is there a storm with a lightning bolt that just kills Sanballat and the other warlords. I mean, that would be great. I would love that. I enjoy reading those stories. But there's not any of that in the book of Nehemiah. There is not a single supernatural act anywhere in the book. And yet the surrounding uh, nations and their enemies recognized that this work had been done with the help of their God. That it had the, the fingerprint of God himself all over it. And so let me again ask you, what is that work? What is that thing that God wants to cultivate in you this year? Over the course of this series, we have looked at some powerful things. It would be fantastic if these were the things cultivated in, it, in, in us. So is it one of these for you, one of the seven things that we looked at? Let me put this list back up because maybe it is. Maybe for you, it's courage. For some of you, this is your word because you live in fear. And you're afraid of what might happen. You're afraid that something bad is going to happen. And your brain comes up with all these different scenarios of what if this and what if that. And the truth is that you're afraid and your fear keeps you from living the life that God is inviting you to live. He has incredible things that he wants you to be a part of. But you will miss out on those opportunities if you're too afraid. And so this year, God is going, work with me to cultivate some courage in your life. For others of you, it's patience. And that may not sound like the most exciting thing to have God cultivate in you, but for some of you, you know this is the thing you need cultivated in you. And it may look a couple of different ways. On one hand, you may need patience because you just, every single day, you get frustrated by, because of your lack of patience. People don't move fast enough for you. Traffic doesn't move fast enough for you. The world does not move fast enough for you. And you are constantly frustrated because you are impatient. On the other hand, it may be a big picture level of patience that you need. Maybe you're trusting God to fulfill a promise that you feel like he's made to you, but you do not see him working to fulfill that promise. And so you are, you are tempted to take things into your own hands and to try to fulfill that promise on your own. And God is going, don't do that. Wait on me. I will fulfill my promises to you, but you have to be patient. For some of you, it might be sacrifice. For some of us, we may have gotten really good at amassing all of the things that we need for our life and our family's lives to be really comfortable. And we've got the money side down and the career side down and the budget thing down and we're saving for retirement, we're saving for our kids' college and we're good there. We're good on the relational front, like we're good at home, things are good, everybody's, you know, relatively emotionally healthy and like, you know, not a jerk to each other, so that's all good, and you've got some friends, and, and life is just good, and you would not, not like to rock the boat. Right? You're like, if we could just keep things moving this way, that would be fantastic because I'm good, I'm comfortable. And for you, God wants to cultivate some sacrifice. 
You know what that is? You know what sacrifice is? Sacrifice is you choosing to make your own life a little bit worse than it could be so that you can make somebody else's life better than it would be. And God is inviting you to make yourself uncomfortable to a deeper degree, to make other lives better, to expand his kingdom in your community. And part of the reason he wants to cultivate sacrifices in you is because he understands that you will never fully understand or appreciate the sacrifice he made for you until you do. For others of you, it's fortitude. And you feel like, man, life is tough, and you would like to just stay in bed under the covers. You live in the state of like, the sky is falling. And God's going, of course it feels like the sky is falling. You live in a sinful, broken world. Bad stuff is going to happen, but God is going, I have made you better than that. I have not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. God wants to cultivate some grit inside you so you can not only make it through the tough stuff that happens, but so that you can help other people through tough stuff when it happens in their life. For some of you, the thing that, that God wants to cultivate this year is your level of influence. I've said this before, but I do not care who you are or what you do for a living. There are people in your life who you have relational tokens built up with. There may be a, a, a series of people that you have relational trust built up with. And you have the ability to speak life into their life in a special way. You have the ability to breathe wind into their sails in a powerful way that causes them to reach farther than they would normally reach on their own, that causes them to go farther than they would go on their own, that causes them to stretch more than they would go on their own, and that will cause them to experience life at a deeper level than they would if it were not for your influence in their life. You can be that for somebody, for people who are already in your world. And all it takes is you being willing to leverage your influence to speak into their world. There are people who will remember you when you're gone. What do you want them to remember you said and you spoke into their life? For some of you, it's forgiveness. And I could talk for a long time about forgiveness. I'm a pastor after all. This is sort of my jam, right? But for those of you who it's forgiveness, you don't need me to talk for a long time about forgiveness because you know this is your thing. And I get it. I really, I genuinely understand this. You were a victim. Somebody did something to you that you did not deserve. You did not ask for it. You were an innocent victim. It was their fault. They were the problem. And, I, and you are right in that. But the truth is, for some of you, they have stopped hurting you, but you are still living with the pain. And God is saying, this is the year, this is the time that you need to let that go. He's asking you to forgive, as difficult as that will be to do, because he wants you to let yourself out of the prison of unforgiveness. He wants you to remember that, that he has, has forgiven you greatly. And you can now, in turn, extend that forgiveness to other people who do not deserve it. But you're going to do it because God wants you to live with the joy that comes from living in freedom day in and day out. And for others of you, the thing that God wants to cultivate in you is compassion, the way that he cultivated this in the life of Stephen. The reality is that our, our world, our community, even our church is filled with people who are deeply hurting and they need somebody to come into their life to show them the love of the Father, to show them what it looks like to be loved the way that we love ourselves. 
And for some of you, God is going, this is my thing for you. I want to cultivate a level of compassion in you that causes your heart to become soft like my heart is soft. And you are going to reflect to people who are hurting a loving God who cares for them. But what is it for you? What is your word? What is the thing that God wants to cultivate in you this year? All of us have something. It may be one of those seven things. It could be something else entirely. I put up another list of other things that it could be. Maybe it's something off this list. Maybe it wasn't off the first list, but maybe it's love. Maybe it's joy. Maybe God wants to cultivate peace in you. Maybe it's kindness or gentleness, or maybe it's self-control. Maybe this is the year that God says, I'm going to cultivate some self-control in you. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's trust or faith, and God is asking you to step out in faith in a risky way and to see that he is faithful. Maybe it's contentment, and your problem isn't that you need more money to get out of debt. God just needs to cultivate some contentment in you, and that'll take care of the problem. Maybe it's truth or generosity or responsibility. Maybe it's boldness or resolve or reliability, but what is it for you? I believe that if you listen, God will tell you, he will impress upon you the thing that he is saying, I want to cultivate this in you this year. What is it for you? What is the thing he wants to cultivate? Not what is the thing you choose to cultivate. Not what is the thing you hope he'll cultivate. If that was the, the, the question, we would all pick joy. We'd all be like, this, this is the year of joy for John, Right? And I'm just going to live it up, and I am going to have a blast, and God's going to cultivate joy. And at the end of the year, I'm going to be more joyful than I've ever been because I just focused on me this year. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, what is the thing that God wants to cultivate in you? And here's the challenge. When we walk out of here in just a few minutes, nothing has changed. Nothing around you has changed. The world hasn't changed. The only thing that has changed will be you. And the only thing that has changed about you is something in your mind. You're not going to have any more money. You're not going to have any more time. You're not going to have any less responsibility. You're not going to have any less obligation. But right now, you know there is something that if God would cultivate this in you, it would have a tremendous impact. And so you need to decide right now that you are going to focus on that thing, that you are going to climb up on that wall, and like Nehemiah, you are going to say, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. And, and here's what we say all the time, but this is so true, that for every single one of us, you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to focus on that thing. You have no idea what, what, what impact that could have on your life in terms of your, your experience and the experience of people around you. You have no idea what, what hangs in the balance in terms of your impact, the impact that God wants to have through you, on your family, on your friends, on your church, on your community, on this world. There is, there is potential in front of you that you will only experience if you focus on allowing God to cultivate this thing in you. And so my hope, my prayer, is that all of us would commit to that one thing and that we would say with Nehemiah, when the distractions come our way and when the opportunities come our way, we would say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Now here's how I want to finish this series out. I want to invite the band to come on back up. I want to invite our ushers to come back up. I want to invite the ushers to pass baskets down the row of each aisle. 
And as they do, what you're going to see in that basket is little gold coin. I want to invite every single person in the room to take one of those gold coins as the band comes and as the ushers come. Also, underneath your chair, there are uh, little black Sharpie markers. Reach under there and grab that marker. There may not be one under your seat directly. If not, there should be one under the seat next to you. If they're all taken, you may need to wait until somebody next to you is done with their marker, and then you can borrow it from them. At this point, we're relying on two other services to have remembered to put the marker back under the chair, which you know is a terrible thing to rely on. But here's what I want you to do. When you get your coin and when you get a pen, I want to invite you to mark the moment by writing your word on this coin. You don't have to write anything else, and you don't have to show it to anybody else, but I want to invite you to just take the first few minutes of the band doing this song, and I want to invite you to just write that word on that coin, to just put it down on, on pen to paper, marker to like fake gold, whatever that is. I don't know what it is, some type of metal. The band's going to do a song called Yes and Amen. This is the perfect song to finish this series out because the lyrics of this song remind us of two things. Number one, that God is faithful. The second thing the lyrics of this song remind us is that all of his promises, when we ask God to fulfill his promises to us, the answer from him back is always yes and amen. And so as we ask God to cultivate some things in us this morning, we need to know with confidence that he is faithful and that his answer to us will be yes. And that if we will focus in on these things, and if we will climb up on that wall, and if we will partner with him, he will, will cultivate this in us. And we will become people who will look back on this moment and know this was a time where God did something great in my life. Once you write your word on there, we'll sing the song out together, and then I'll come back to tell you how we're going to close. Yeah.
faithfulness and I will rest on just sing that with in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness and I will in you may have seen out in the lobby a giant like 20 foot sign that says cultivate some of you are like how did I miss that I did not see that sign but there's like a 20 foot sign out there that spells out the word cultivate and and in each of those letters there's a total of like 800 tiny little nails I want to invite you to now go out into the lobby and to hang your coin on that board just pick a nail anywhere you want and hang your coin on there That sign is going to stay there, and it's going to stay when we move into our new space as well as a constant reminder that God is not done with us yet, that he is still cultivating things in us. He is still stretching us and growing us, and collectively, as a community of people, he is growing some incredible things in us. So I want to invite you to be a part of that, to mark this moment by hanging your coin on a hook and say, I'm part of what God is cultivating at Heartland. Let me pray for you. We'll get you out of here. God, thank you for this incredible story. One more incredible true story, Lord. Thanks for this this special reply from Nehemiah. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Lord, would you help us to focus in on the work that you have put before us for us to do today? And as a result, would we see you cultivate some things in our lives that has a concrete impact where we're able to look back and go, man, as a result of that being grown in me, I am a different person. And Lord, ultimately, we pray that as a result of you doing that in so many of our lives, your kingdom would expand in our community. That more people would come to know what it looks like to be a follower of Christ and that you would receive more glory and honor. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone who agreed with this prayer said, amen.